where the wind comes sweeping down the plain. And the waving wheat can sure smell sweet when the wind comes right behind the rain. Oklahoma, every night, my honey lamb and I sit alone and talk and watch a hawk making lazy circles in the sky. We know we belong to the land, and the land we belong to is grand. And when we say, we're only saying, you're doing fine, Oklahoma, Oklahoma, okay. Hello and welcome to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, December 17th, 2023. My name is James Marino, and in the broadcast today, we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His new book, Brain Teasers for Broadway Geniuses, is now available wherever finer books are sold, including the Drama Bookshop. So you can get it there. You don't have to worry about shipping, you know, things like that. Run over, go get it. <laughs> Peter also has columns at Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, and many other places. Hello, Peter. Hi. Hello. Also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael's a theater reviewer and essayist. He's the founder and editor of CastAlbumReviews.com. He is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You could see his photography work at FollowSpotPhoto.com. Hello, Michael. Hello. Hello. And also at Cast Album Reviews, I see that we have... Uh, some new reviews that have coming out. Why don't you give us a quick yeah. overview of what's going on? Yeah, well, the first one I'm a little late on because I just got uh, to review the most recent, uh, the new Broadway cast recording of Camelot, uh, the production that was at the Lincoln Center Theater. And it's uh, not a very enthusiastic review, um, but it is countered by a rave review for the new recording of Days and Wine, Days of Wine and Roses, uh, the Adam Gettle, uh, Craig Lucas musical, which Charles Kirsch has written for me. And um, I have to say, Charles asked me like two days ago if he could do it. And I said, sure, that'd be great. And he delivered it to me the next day. <laughs> so uh, we like that. We like that. <laughs> <laughs> and we've sent uh, links to both of those reviews so you can go and uh have a look if you choose to <laughs> i was i was gonna say i i admire uh him making his deadline because um i had a book due at my publishers on november 30th and i hope to get it in this week <laughs> so yeah i appreciate people who make it they didn't say november 30th what year <laughs> in fact they didn't yeah you're right you're right that wasn't as that's specified. right so oh They're good like i have 11 this... more months Delicious, 11 months early. That's, that's consummate we'll profession. That. You have yes, to understand, you know, Peter travels all the time and things all like that. So he's all very, very busy. Very, very busy. So, Peter, uh, yeah. did you go dancing in Ohio? Did you learn how to dance in Ohio? Uh, <laughs> I still have to learn how to dance, but that's another story. Uh, yeah, it, uh, I hope I'm not going to say anything offensive here because um, I, I certainly mean well in terms of the fact that this cast is extraordinary. Um, I'll have to tell you that I was having lunch the other day with somebody who said, I'm not sure I want to go see this show. And I said, I have a feeling that your feelings have to do with the fact that these are autistic people on stage. Um, had you not been told that, I don't think you would know for a second. Uh, they're terrific beyond belief. Just wonderful. Uh, whether or not you knew they were autistic or anything like that, the point is they are fabulous performers and they are doing the job exceptionally well. However, when you come right down to it, this is just another high school musical, in essence. I mean, it's about taking people to the, the big dance and all that. Do you have the nerve to ask them out? Do you not have the nerve to ask them out? So the story isn't so hot. I understand it's based on a documentary. I've never seen the documentary. I hadn't heard of the documentary, for that matter. But but when when you come right down to it, I mean, this the story just doesn't um, have any resonance for me. So... Um, it's, it's a perfectly acceptable evening. Um, I, I had no complaints sitting there. 
but um, I, I, I and I understand the stakes are higher uh, for for people who um, are on the spectrum, as the expression goes. I understand that, uh, but I can only be interested for so long. And again, I hope I'm not being offensive. Um, I don't mean to be. It's it's so hard to say the right things at times when when it comes to matters like this. But but anyway, um, um, I sat there and let it wash over me, and that was that. So you know, it, it's okay for a show not to be for you. You know, and, yeah, of and course, we, we go we go through that all the time. We mm. we don't we don't always give rave reviews. No. Uh, no. You know, and so uh, that's okay. So, Michael, how about you? What did you think of How to Dance in Ohio? Well, I think the reason the show is not for Peter and is not so much for me is because of the the writing, um, not because of the fact that all of these artistic people are involved. So, it's kind of a separate issue. I, I think the um, emphasis is on the fact that these really wonderfully talented artistic mm. performers are on stage and that every uh, artistic character in the show is played by an autistic person. Um, there are, there are other characters as well, including um, their doctor or counselor. What exactly, what exactly was this title? Dr. Amigo, um, mm-hmm. you know, the one who runs like the, the kind of therapy sessions. Um, and then uh, there are a few parents as well. But all of the young adults who are meant to be autistic uh, as their characters are actually autistic. And here's an interesting thing to me. I um, I also agree with Peter that if you didn't know that going in, you would never guess it. Um, there, there's no um, outward obvious signs of of what we know of as the you know the uh, indicators of autism um so that's that's i guess something important to know uh to begin with uh there is discussion of it of course but but that's uh i i just never never would have guessed and 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 I also hadn't read a lot about the background of this before actually seeing it. Um, so I didn't know what level of professionalism, if any, these young performers had achieved. But for example, uh, I would say there were really two uh, leads in the show. The doctor, the aforementioned Dr. Amigo, played by Cesar Samoya, who we've seen in many, many shows before. Uh, and he is not autistic. Um and the other one is uh, this character play, uh, played by Liam Pierce, and his character is Drew. And he is so charismatic. He's got a beautiful voice. He's tall. He's handsome. Uh, and I and I looked at his credits, and sure enough, I, I, I didn't know <laughs> what I was going to find, but it says... Um, Liam Pierce Broadway debut previous credits include Rent at Paper Mill and Legally Blonde at the Muni. So, you know, he's he's no neophyte, he's no amateur. Um and and what occurs to me there is that I I think it's interesting that since for example he has achieved that much already um that he would now want to be in a show where uh he is specifically identified as being autistic. So that I find interesting. Um, I, I'm sure that all of these performers considered that, uh, you know, when, when deciding whether they wanted to become involved in this project. Uh, but I think it was very well directed by Sammy Canold. Um, my main uh, issue, let's see here. Uh, it's, uh, gosh, this Type is so small. I mean, I realize I'm getting old, but <laughs> music by Jacob Yandura, and then uh, I guess the book by Rebecca Greer Malosic, book and lyrics. Um, it just seemed very formulaic, um, and that's we've discussed that before. Sometimes when there's a show about a new group of people. Uh, they will use old, very old tropes in order to like almost um, make the audience comfortable because they realize they're throwing something new at them as far as the people, the new people who are being written about. So in the same way that many 
people mentioned that in some ways in the heights is very much like fiddler on the roof <laughs> um so this show is maybe like a lot of other shows about young people coming of age and and again as peter mentioned with the big um climactic event being a, a dance or a prom uh so uh but what happened here was um first of all i thought there were too many songs in it there were so many songs in this show and actually quite uh, uh, relatively little dialogue. Um, I think that could have been addressed a little bit. Um, and the other thing is that we were moving towards the prom and, and things seemed to be going pretty well, uh, you know, as act two started. And I said to myself, you know, some kind of, um, some kind of complication is going to have to occur now because that's always what happens <laughs> in in a case like that when it seems like you're you're moving towards the climax with no with no issues and no problems and so one did occur here and i actually thought it was um interesting what they made the complication but i didn't think it was handled very well and it just made the evening feel rather attenuated um so that's that's my thing i i you know i think the the writing uh is the issue here and i am very glad to have seen all these people on stage uh, because they're all so talented and um i hope they all move on to other projects that are better written as just as um just as for example liam pierce has already moved on to rent Mm. Uh, I'm going to add something else, and um, this is something that I, I'm not certain of at all. But I didn't like the way the teacher was characterized um, because he seemed to be um, always cheery, always happy. And um, when something was going a little wrong, he, he seemed to ignore it, that, that that was the approach he took. Now, here's the thing. For all I know, this is exactly what teachers of autistic people must do. Mm. I don't know. But the thing is... Um, if, if if this was just an isolated uh, teacher handling things as if pretending like, oh, what you just did uh, is not a problem and everything can be solved so easily, um, he was just too much of a glad hand for me. But again, maybe when you go to school to be a teacher for autistic people, this is what they tell you to be. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, and uh, since you mentioned that, another thing I thought there was a, a subplot, one of the subplots we didn't need, that teacher character has a daughter who is going to Juilliard, uh, but then she has to drop out because she gets injured. And so that becomes a whole nother plot. Uh, mm. Aside from everything we have going on, I really didn't think that that needed to be there at all. Yeah, that, I agree with that. That that was surprising to me. It, it mm. seemed to me such an, um, a relatively small detail and uh, how it's resolved too at the end seems to be very matter of fact as well. Right. And this guy has so much else that <laughs> yeah, going on. on his plate, you yeah. know, it just like this poor guy, my gosh. <laughs> All right. So that's uh how to dance in Ohio. It's got an open-ended run at the Belasco. I, I wanted to ask uh, Peter and Michael and maybe Peter, this will play into a trivia question oh. somewhere down the line here. <laughs> um, noticing all over their uh, marketing materials and website, they keep on uh, they keep on uh, attributing Hal Prince in loving memory of Hal Prince. Yes, apparently um, he gave them a lot of guidance. I, so, I read that too. I don't, I don't know specifically, but I did hear that um, he was very interested in, in seeing this proceed. That's all I know. So it must have been kicking around for a while. Yes. Uh, yeah. Guess. Yeah. You know, must I, be. So, <laughs> that's the way musicals are. <laughs> yeah. Um, but does this play into the streak of Harold Prince being ah, ah. on Broadway? <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> so I have to see if the streak has restarted here. Yeah, with, we'll have uh, to see direction. what the credit. Uh, well, the, well, we see what the credit is. Uh, is I, I, I didn't look that closely. Is he actually credited on the title page? Yeah, it's on the title page. In well, great. Memory of Great, Prince. great, great. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's, uh, uh, I, I don't know. I haven't, let me see if it's in IBDB. Let's see. Uh, Probably if it's on the title page. I would need to spell Prince correctly. Yes, he's t credited on the title page on IBDB. 
Wow. So Prince and Sondheim so, keep going. <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm, as they should. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, next up, Peter, you got down to the public theater to see Hell's Kitchen, the new Alicia Keys musical. Uh, we briefly touched upon it last week, but give us your full review on this now. Well, what I want to say about this, um, <laughs> I want to make a comparison with the Gardens of Annuncia, um, because both of them deal with stories of entertainers who are just starting, well, not even just starting out, the, 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 the formative years. Um, now, why is it that the Garden of Annuncia rather bored me while Hell's Kitchen didn't, since it was both about young girls uh, who certainly have no show business background at this point in time, who aren't growing up in the lap of luxury. Um, and <laughs> I figured out the reason why. Um, because with Gardens of Anuncia dealing with Graciela Danielle, I mean, I want to hear the stories about when she was cast as Rita Rio and what makes Sammy run. And when Arthur Storch was fired and they brought in eight burrows to direct, was she worried <laughs> about her job? I mean, this is what I wanted to hear. Well, I know beans about Alicia Keys. So as a result, uh, the story of a young girl um, in Manhattan Plaza who doesn't seem like she's destined for any success whatsoever was of interest to me. So essentially, they're the same story, essentially. And yet, uh, because I don't know anything about Alicia Keys, um, I was able to go for the ride and be very interested in this young girl. But more to the point, I have to say, I have to say that um, even though I was told in advance that I was going to be seeing an understudy, um, the press office wrote me and said, uh, you will be seeing an understudy. And I didn't really pay attention to who it was. And so, um, yeah, playing the role of blah, blah, blah. You know, I mean, the name doesn't mean anything, uh, the character name. So, uh, fine. So I get in there and I'm, 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 I'm sitting. I mean, there's the thing in the playbill saying that, um, the person's going to be out, et cetera. And, you know, I, I, I'm, again, I'm, I'm not paying attention to, um, who's out. Um, I'm just going to watch the show. And my God, this woman, I mean, I was flabbergasted beyond belief. Gianna Harris, uh, playing the lead role of Ali, uh, Alicia Keys. Ali is what she's called in those days. I was flabbergasted how phenomenal she was. Phenomenal. I mean, I've seen a lot of understudies in my times, and this has to be at least one of the best, if not the best ever. So, I mean, uh, the reason they said to me, you can go another time. And and I thought, well, you know, the thing is, it's going to Broadway. So I'll see the... Um, first choice person uh, then that's fine so let me see the show now but good lord I am certainly very interested beyond belief to see exactly what's going to happen when I go back and um, I do get the chance to see uh, Malia Joy Moon because boy if she is better if she is any better than Gianna Harris then she's one of the great Broadway performers of all time. So that's uh, my take on um, on uh, Hell's Kitchen, and um, I wish it well, and we'll see what happens. All right. Uh, it, interesting that uh, you were talking about seeing an understudy because we got an, uh, a message from one of our listeners this week about uh, – going to see uh, Merrily We Roll Along and uh, not getting to see Lindsay Mendez. And, uh, you know, we talk about this every now and then when people are, uh, people are out, uh, especially, uh, especially as we made our way through the pandemic. We had lots of people in and out, in and out, or our whole show's canceled, in fact. So, you know, what what's the both of yours take on... Um, what's the responsibility of a show to inform the public if somebody's going to be out, if it's scheduled or unscheduled? What do you think about this? The one I always come back to is when I bought a ticket for The Baker's Wife in 1976, and um, they didn't tell me Topol was going to be out. Now, the thing is, I bought the ticket like three weeks in advance, and he was going to be out because it was a Jewish holiday. So, as a result, they knew he was going to be out, and I mm. think they should have told me. Um, it's 
people get sick, fine. I get it. No hard feelings. If we heard that Topol was sick that day and couldn't make it, fine. Bring on the understudy. I'll be there. But boy, I think it's really lousy when they don't tell you in advance when they know that something's going to happen. This may not be relevant in Lindsay Menzies' uh, case, but mm-hmm. nevertheless, um, that's <laughs> here it is almost a half century later, and I'm still burning over that one. <laughs> Michael, how about you? Well, if we're talking about uh, we press people, I mean, it's easy enough for them to notify us, and they usually or almost yeah. always do. Yeah. Uh, but uh, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know what the mechanism would be um, to notify the general public. Uh, I guess they would have something set up where they they you know have e- emails or phone numbers for everyone from the point of purchase, and then have announcements ready like to be sent out uh would that would that be reasonable mm. or yeah, not i, I mean I, you know I, know I guess you know if they're sick and they're calling out that's one thing but if it's a scheduled vacation oh scheduled know, I, no well it's scheduled there is there's they absolutely have a responsibility to to let people know i i especially think. yeah i i think that Lindsay is above the title uh, yeah, she is. Early. She is. Yeah. 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 So uh, the fact that she's above the title does give uh, the audience members some ways to uh, yeah. get, mm-hmm. you know, if they want to pass on the performance, they can get a refund, reschedule. It's you know, obviously Merrily's tough to reschedule because if you're right. coming in from out of town, you'd have to reschedule your whole trip once you're here. Um, but certainly, uh, you know, I, I feel as though that scheduled vacations, we get notified, we in the press get notified usually when people are, you know, when Hugh Jackman was going to be out and Sutton Foster was going to be out. We we got those notifications right away uh, for whether they were, uh, you know, shooting their television shows or doing other types of commitments. Oh, and I think uh, those kind of announcements are also shared with the general public through press releases. Mm. Yeah, exactly. At least sometimes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's, uh, it's tough with live theater. You never know what you're going to have, but you might get a Gianna Harris. Yeah, you really, know? I'm telling you. It's and, tougher when you have someone who, uh, or when you have people who are missing multiple performances, whether it be Lindsay Mendez or uh, Jay Harrison G. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, it must be very hard for um, the press office and the box office to keep up. But I, yeah, I mean, and then I guess, uh, I guess we still have COVID as an issue in addition mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. whatever kind of illnesses tend to happen around this time of year. Uh, I heard uh, from a friend last night that um, a friend of his went to see, I, I guess what was to be one of the final performances of I Can Get It For You Wholesale, and the whole show was canceled mm. uh, yeah. because there were so many people out. Wow. Wow. So, yeah. So, uh, and, and it's not just limited to, uh, you know, the, the, you know, the big shows, as Michael just pointed out, I mean, almost every show, whether it be, you know, Bette Midler and Dolly, or as we uh, mentioned, Hugh Jackman uh, and uh, Music Man or things like that. It, uh, you know, it was uh, it was Lin-Manuel and uh, Miranda and Hamilton and, and half of the other Hamilton cast. I mean, all of them were superstars in their, that original cast that everybody wanted to see. Uh, so it's a tough thing, you know, we're all human here. So, uh, but one other thing we should say is that it certainly does seem that the number of scheduled absences mm. among stars of Broadway shows, uh, has increased greatly, greatly. over the years. And greatly. in fact, was something that didn't used to exist at all. I mean, we, 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 I'm sure we all remember that, uh, what was it, a, a couple of weeks after Funny Girl opened, mm-hmm. Beanie Feldstein went to a friend's mm-hmm. wedding and yeah. she was out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there, but that's only one example. Well, there that, are, that might have been a blessing in disguise. Well, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wasn't going to say now, that. Now but. it's almost Beanie Who. Yeah. Yeah, really. Uh, but then also, um, 
she's you know i mean that that was for that reason but uh people having already having concert dates written into their schedules you know so that so then when they sign up for a broadway show and they're like well um you know fine but i can't be there on blah 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 but in that case again it depends is if they do let you know from the very beginning uh and they make sure that they let the audience the ticket buyers know that miss lapone or whoever won't be in this performance that that's a lot better than keeping it secret <laughs> mm. So, Michael, you had uh, an opportunity yes. to see hundreds of stars at the <laughs> Celebrating Stephen Schwartz at the Metropolitan Opera Gala, uh, which was just this past week. So, w- was anybody out that you were really looking forward to? Nobody was out. <laughs> Nobody was out. They wouldn't miss it. They wouldn't miss it. Show up sick. Um, so, tell us about it. Well, there weren't hundreds of stars on stage, but there were a lot, and I suppose there were a lot in the audience, so maybe I did see hundreds. Uh, (laughs) uh, Yes, this was Monday, December 11th at the Metropolitan Opera House, and uh, it was quite an event celebrating Stephen Schwartz. Um, Rob Fisher was the music director conducting an orchestra of about, mm, I, I couldn't quite count accurately, but it was some somewhere like 25 um and michael mayer was the director and um i'm just going to read you the program um starting from the beginning uh it was very much um uh for the most part one one person you know coming out to sing after another uh only towards the end did we get anything like a duet but um but here here we go um Corner of the Sky, Ben Platt. Stranger mm-hmm. to the Rain, Adrian Warren. Spread a Little Sunshine from Pippin, Anthony Roth Costanzo, who's a um, great opera singer, uh, counter tenor. Lost in the Wilderness from Children of Eden, Joshua Henry. West End Avenue from The Magic Show, Michaela Diamond. Uh, Wondrous Things and Lucky from Seance on a Wet Afternoon, the beautiful Stephen Schwartz opera. Brittany Renee. Uh, out there from the Hunchback of Notre Dame, music by Alan Menken, was sung by Raul Esparza. Uh, Bravo Stromboli from a children's musical that Stephen wrote called My Son Pinocchio, Paolo Schott. Um, All for the Best from Godspell was sung by Leslie Odom Jr. Trisha Yearwood sang I'm Not That Girl from Wicked. And the end of the first half was Alex Newell bringing the house down. With defying uh, gravity, uh, defying gravity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then, after we all collected ourselves during intermission, <laughs> um, Sutton Foster opened the second half with "When You Believe" from the Prince of Egypt. Uh, Bonnie Milligan sang "It's an Art from Working." Angel Blue, another opera singer, great opera singer, did "Children of the Wind" from Rags. Um, Nick Jonas did "Beautiful City" from Godspell, and I have to tell you that was the one huge disappointment of the evening i um did i i saw nick jonas in how to succeed and he also made a um what would you call it like an ep of a few songs uh from that show you know as a like mini cast album and he's absolutely terrific on that absolutely terrific and singing in a uh you know in a in a perfectly legit traditional broadway style here um i don't know if it was because of the uh, the the song that he chose or the way he felt the audience wanted to hear him sing it it, it was so breathy he hardly sustained a note throughout the whole thing and it was just a total washout so that was a tremendous disappointment and i'm sorry to have to say that um, um did the audience um respond in- applause was very very tepid uh-huh, okay. the applause for his entrance was much much uh-huh. louder and uh-huh. more vociferous uh-huh. than for uh-huh. his exit uh-huh. yeah yeah so um sorry about that nick but um don't do that again uh, <laughs> uh jackie and marie from the queen of versailles Kristen chenoweth and anthony roth costanzo uh happy for me from making magic Kristen chenoweth and anthony roth costanzo um 
uh, Meadowlark was next on the program, and that plum assignment went to Cynthia Arrivo, uh, which was interesting because I was thinking that she would sing Defying Gravity because, of course, uh, she's going to be playing Elphaba in the film of Wicked, which is oh, yeah. apparently already finished um, and now in post-production. Uh, so since she didn't do, when she didn't do that, I was like, well, what's she going to do instead? So what's the only answer? Meadowlark. <laughs> 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 and she was, to, she was just great. Just great. Uh, Shoshana Bean, whom I love. We Are Lights. She sang a song called We Are Lights. Um, then she followed that with Bless the Lord from Godspell. Uh, and uh, got other people to join in. Um, and then Stephen, uh, well, I'm not sure of the order here, but this fellow, David Phelps, who I hadn't heard of, um, uh, he's a Christian singer, apparently, uh, came out and sang What They Mean by Christmas from Marley. And then uh, Stephen himself, Stephen Schwartz, came out and said a few words and sat at the piano and, and um started to sing for good and then he was joined by Kristen Chenoweth and when she came out and started singing with him the you know the crowd went nuts um and then i almost thought maybe Adina Menzel is going to be a special <laughs> unannounced guest but instead Trisha Yearwood came out again and sang the other part in uh, in uh oh, good for good um so i don't i mean um let me say adina Medel menzel was very adele dazim <laughs> um, <laughs> adele nazim no adina menzel <laughs> was very conspicuous in her absence I, I i wonder what you know was up with that i hope you know it wasn't anything bad uh i know that she has had her issues in in the past that she and Kristen had had some issues but i i thought i had read that it had that had all been um smoothed over over the years uh and who knows maybe she had a concert date somewhere or maybe she's filming a tv movie but um it would have been really nice to have her there and if if that had happened there would be no roof on the metropolitan opera house uh, that's that's you know that's how um excited this crowd was for for everything that happened uh anyway it was a wonderful wonderful tribute to a great 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 composer and lyricist uh one of the you know the several um that we have been privileged to um share our lives with them <laughs> and be on the planet at the same time mm -hmm, as them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. okay and michael uh i got a few emails from listeners thanking mm. us because we did alert them ahead yes. of time that this was going to be there so uh, and they got tickets, uh, you know, relatively at a good price and were there on, on the day. So, uh, thank you for that. That is, my, yes, uh, my, as I said, my ticket for a balcony box was $25. You were there. Yes. Everybody else was like, Michael Portantier is here. <laughs> so. I don't think so. But I'm really glad that, <laughs> yeah, I'm glad we did that. Uh, when I first announced it, there were plenty of tickets available, but uh, by the night of the show, it looked packed to me. Okay. So we'll have a link to that in the show notes uh, back to there. Uh, my standard question I always ask you, were there any cameras? Do you, was it captured? Do you think it was recorded? Do you think uh, there's a future life of that? Um, I don't think so. I didn't notice any cameras. And, and when they shoot things there, it's kind of obvious. Yeah. Okay. It's always obvious when it's school picture day. And uh, that was one of my favorites uh, was school picture day where we got dressed up in our Sunday best and brushed our hair in weird ways that never looked natural and normal. So I don't know if this uh, play at the Peter J. Sharp Theater, Playwrights Horizons, uh, had anything to do with that. But Peter, you got to see a play called School Pictures. Tell us about it. Well, uh, yes, indeed. This is upstairs at Playwrights Horizons. Um, we should make that clear because um, it is in a smaller space. And um, it has been very, very popular uh, be because it's been extended and extended again. And um, Milo Kramer is the performer and the writer. And 
My lord, um, the audience was crazy for it and found it very funny. So I should mention that first and foremost, um, you know it's coming. Um, I didn't respond to it at all because it was the damnness thing. Um, what he does, um, he, he essentially sings a cappella through much of the show, much of it. There is a scene that's very, very important that comes where he's not singing at all. So what, does he have a bad voice? No. No, he does have a ukulele with him, and he occasionally strums a chord, but it's essentially free form, or it seems free form. I don't know if if he makes it up on the spot each night, or if he really does have this music written down, but it really is a case like, I went to school with Harriet, and she was a lovely girl, and I'm sorry we don't see each other anymore. I'm, I'm telling you, that's exactly what it is, that type of thing. Those aren't real lyrics, but nevertheless, that's what it is. And he talks about these various people he knew um, in childhood. There's um, a board behind him where um, each person's name is written out on a card, and after he finishes talking about that person, he pulls it down. So at least you know how many he has to go before you get to go home. But I will say... The audience was crazy for it. So maybe if it extends again, today um, is the last day. But boy, uh, considering that audience response, uh, whoa, um, I have a feeling we haven't seen this show for the last time. Um, I am hoping that I've seen this show for the last time, but that's another <laughs> story entirely. <laughs> okay. So that is School Pictures. Uh, was at Playwrights Horizons, and we'll have a link to that in the show notes in case it pops up again and you want to uh, check it out. Uh, Michael, you got over to Carnegie Hall to see Debbie Wildman as Judy Garland. Uh, so tell us about this. Well, I had been hearing about this woman for um, uh, a, a, a year or two, uh, and just people singing her praises about how incredible her uh, vocal impression of Judy Garland is. And, you know, but these Judy Garland queens, um, they sometimes get very emotional. Uh, <laughs> and so I, you know, I was, uh, it's not that I disbelieved them, but uh, I just thought I should wait to see and hear for myself. And, you know, all of that time I could have checked her out on YouTube, but I, I, I guess I just didn't, you know, think of it. Um, and I thought, uh, well, I'll maybe I'll think about it when it comes up again. Um, so, uh, but I was invited to see her performance at Zankel Hall uh, on Sunday, December 10th. And I thought, well, this is a perfect opportunity. And I asked a friend of mine who I know is another Judy file. Uh, <laughs> and, and we went and he had already, uh, heard and seen her which i didn't realize and so as we were going there he's like have you seen her and i said no I, i've never seen or heard her and he goes you're not going to believe it and then he started in uh you know raving and i said well gosh you know maybe she really is that good and you know what she's that good it's uh, her voice is phenomenal uh her her ability to to imitate judy's uh, tone and phrasing and uh, to some degree, her, her body language uh, it, it's spooky level mm -hmm. um, as you will find if you check her out on YouTube, uh, which I just avoided doing. Um, uh, and the, the power of the voice alone, uh, as my friend Todd said, even if you don't think she sounds like Judy Garland, which you will because she does, um, you, you'll just be flabbergasted by the, the, the quality and the power of the voice itself, especially um, when she's really belting out high notes. But that's not to say that she uh, can't sing softly and lyrically and beautifully as well, because she certainly can. Um she does not look a, a whole lot like Judy in terms of uh, she's much taller and larger. Uh, but actually, uh, facially, there is a, a quite a resemblance. And 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 uh, you know she she aids that by put by wearing a wig that of the type that Judy you know would wear or, or that would would look like her actual hair. Um, and from certain angles, especially from profile. Um, she can look very much like her. 
So there were a, a, a couple of spooky moments for me during the show when I and I almost thought that <laughs> I was seeing the real article. Um, absolutely, absolutely astounding. And um, she was originally supposed to have um, as her two guests, uh, Cheetah Rivera, who um, did work with Judy, appeared on her TV show, uh, her variety show, uh, and Margaret O'Brien, uh, uh, with whom Judy uh, the real Judy co-starred in Meet Me in St. Louis, uh, but they both were sidelined for various reasons. Uh, and so instead, we got a, an interesting replacement, Barry Bostwick. <laughs> hmm. uh, so that was nice of him to come in on short notice and do that. And the audience enjoyed seeing seeing and hearing him. Um, and there was a nice, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, about a seven, eight piece orchestra band. Um Really, really a very, very, very special night. I, I am now a fan for life. And uh, I, I, although it won't be the same as seeing her live, um, I, I, I urge everyone to check her out on YouTube. Oh, another thing she does that's very smart. Um, did I mention that she's British? No. No. Yeah, she's British. And she um, makes what I think is the very smart decision that her patter is in her own voice so it's mm-hmm. not so it's like ah, which cre- which mm-hmm. creates the you know it's as if she's saying well you know i'm not really judy and i would not pretend to be judy but i love judy and i'm someone who's going to pay tribute to her by singing her songs um so i think that whoever advised her to do that or if it was her own decision i think that's absolutely the right decision and um and she should stick with it i mean she does occasionally say a line uh with exactly judy's accent and inflections uh a spoken line and then that brings the house down too uh so very very talented woman with i guess really good people guiding her as to how to to um present her shows um and oh and aside from all of this i don't know how they did it um at zankel hall in the lobby they had memorabilia including are you ready (laughs) one of the pairs of the ruby slippers from the wizard (laughs) of Oz, and uh and uh two costumes um one from Meet Me in St. Louis and one from uh, that non-musical film that Judy made, The Clock. Oh, the one, great, yeah. great yeah. movie and what a musical it would make. Yeah. Almost well, every line is a song cue, I'm telling you. Well, you get um, working on that, Peter. <laughs> thank you. Right now. Um, ironically enough, um, on my flight to Fort Lauderdale, where I had a choice of watching movies, uh, there was The Wizard of Oz, and I hadn't seen it in a long time. Huh. And boy, uh, is that the greatest performance a kid has ever given in a movie? And the greatest performance a dog has ever given in a oh, movie. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> that dog is tremendous. God bless Terry. I mean, I, if that there's a bitch dog was heaven, amazing. Because <laughs> it wasn't it was a yeah, female dog. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, uh, so it was fun seeing that on my way to um, Fort Lauderdale. Peter, on the way home, did you watch The Shop Around the Corner? I did. Um, (laughs) I put this on Facebook, but it's it's true that um, the shop around the corner was offered on the movie selections, too. And I saved it for the next day when I was coming back, because that was literally 12 days to Christmas, which, of course, is a song. And she loves me, which, of course, owes a great deal to uh, the shop around the corner. So, uh, yes, and it was a a treat to see that again. Um, It's it's fun to see that um, Novak, which is the the last name of the character, the male character, and she loves me, is actually the name of the female character in the shop around the corner. Uh, but the movie's wonderful too. Margaret O'Sullivan's terrific. Jimmy Stewart's terrific. Uh, a wonderful cast, beautifully done, and it's such fun to see um, what uh, Joe Masteroff, Bach, and Harnick took um, when when writing "She Loves Me." What they took and what they didn't, and uh, it's it's really quite wonderful. So yes, I think that. Um, uh- uh, airplane flights are the perfect venue for Broadway HD. And yes. I, I would love for Broadway HD yes. to be on airplane flights if possible. That would be really, really great. But in between The Wizard of Oz and the shop around the corner, mm-hmm. you got to see some Mormons, didn't you? I did. I went to see um, the Book of Mormon at the Broward uh, Center in Fort Lauderdale with 
which um, is at the, well, I know the very end, but it's at, at certainly near the end of a street um, <clears throat> that has wonderful restaurants and a terrific place to go. And um, and I will say that going to see the theater itself was as much of an attraction as it was to see the Book of Mormon, because I want to see how this would play in a theater that must have 2,000 seats. I haven't checked, but it, it seemed to be enormous. Um, you've been there, right, James? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Would you say 2,000 seats is... Um, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I think easily. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and pretty full, pretty full. And it was such fun. I, I love when I see a show in an area or a city that is uh, relevant to the, the plot. And of course, there's so much talk in the Book of Mormon about Orlando and Florida. So it was great fun to hear the audience uh, gurgle with pleasure every time Orlando and Florida were mentioned, because of course, uh, they're in Florida and not, not all that far from Orlando. And of course, so. Um, so how's this non-equity tour? And, you know, we talk about the fact that understudies are so terrific and all that. Um non-equity tours feature a lot of great talent of people who just haven't gotten into equity yet um i'll grant you that some of that is uh, their own choices but nevertheless um there are so few opportunities comparatively speaking for so many talented people that it's really quite wonderful to see um so, so many people do a great job now of course uh the book of mormon if you see it here in uh on broadway you're seeing it in a theater that barely has a thousand seats so how does it play it came across the footlights quite quite well and um kudos to sam mcclellan who plays elder price and to sam knackman who plays elder uh cunningham and kiki nesbitt who's um, <laughs> well i'll do it slowly because i haven't said this word in a long time nabulungi hmm. um so um all of them have these credits from all these various um, universities, and it's just so nice um, to see the University of Wisconsin, Marymount, um, mentioned, uh, as opposed to the ones we usually hear about, uh, to see that there really is great talent coming out of these schools. So um, um, I had a wonderful time uh, seeing so many talented people do the show justice. So if indeed this tour is coming to your town, and indeed um, it may very well because they have plenty of tour dates listed, by all means, uh, you can go with great assurance that you're going to see a good show. 2658. Wow. Almost 3,000. Uh, so orchestra is 1,556 seats. Mez is 504 and balcony is 630. Mm. Yeah. Amazing. So. Amazing. You know, I'll never forget that first um, ever performance of 42nd Street in 1980 when David Merrick invited the um, Democratic Convention um, free. Just come, you know, here are your tickets. Um, if you're a delegate, you can come. And um, all these people from out of town going into the Winter Garden and saying, it's so small. We fully <laughs> expected that Broadway would have theaters that were substantially yeah. bigger than the mm-hmm. ones they're used to at home. So, um, so that was a real eye opener for so many of those people. Yeah. So they book a Mormon tour uh, after uh, they take a break after this week, and they come back the first week of January in Canada and. Saskatoon, and then Winnipeg, then down to Seattle, Billings, Montana, Fort Collins, Colorado, Toronto, Boston, Cincinnati, and then the next week. No, I'm kidding. So, the <laughs> 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 problem with uh, bus and trucks, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, bus and U-Haul. Um, <clears throat> ironically, uh, gee, I wish I had seen it in Montana because it's one of three states that I haven't seen shows. I've seen mm. shows in 47 states, but Montana, Idaho, and Hawaii, not yet. Uh, let's see. The <laughs> Iowa, not Idaho. Iowa. Yeah. And no Hawaii, but yeah, all right. Hawaii is definitely uh I gotta get to that Diamond Head Community place. Theater in Hawaii, yeah. So Yes, exactly. <laughs> all right. So uh that wraps it up for uh reviews. Uh quickly, quickly, quickly in the news, uh the limelight. Uh, rock club from the late eighties, early nineties, uh, not rock club, but you know, nightclub, I should say, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh, 
you know, lots of uh, stories coming out of there, has followed (laughs) the trail of Studio 54. That's right. In in becoming a legit theater uh, with uh, some uh, things scheduled for the uh, for the future. Michael, any words to say about the limelight? Do you want to sh- show show some limelight on your, <laughs> your dodgy your dodgy youth there on Twenty Second Street? Sixth oh, Avenue? I, I I might have been in it once. <laughs> that you remember? Yeah, yeah. That <laughs> <I remember>. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I was never a dance club person, alas. But um, yeah, I'll re- just read a little from the Forbes article. It says the Limelight Church will be getting some new spotlights. Broadway producer Hunter Arnold, director Michael Arden. And film distributor Roadside Attractions have teamed up to transform the historic venue into a legitimate theater. Quote, we believe that this is the most beautiful building in Manhattan. And what we would like to do is create a very kind of cultural institution where we can present high quality entertainment, stated Scott Moore, the marketing director at Arnold's production company. According to, excuse me. Scott Moore. Oh, boy, that's interesting. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, the names that pop, all right. According to the Blueprints, the new theater will have a circular stage with about 320 seats spread across two levels. The 21,000-square-foot space will also offer four bars (laughs) for theater goers, and dressing rooms for the performers will be built on the third floor of the building. Mm. Marvel Architects which renovated the Lyric Theater for Harry Potter and the Cursed Child and turned an old tobacco warehouse in Brooklyn into the St. Anne's Warehouse Theater, has signed on to oversee the project. It would be the second theater in Arnold's growing real estate portfolio, as he also prepares to open an immersive theater underneath the Waterloo train station in London next year. And then it goes on and on. It just says the 6th Avenue site is best known as the former location of Limelight, Mm. which opened in 1983. It's funny because Limelight, of course, is an expression that's a theatrical expression. And (laughs) so in a way, it's very fitting. They may rename it. but, um, But anyway, I've been in it. There was a flea market one day. And I yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I've actually, it- I've actually been in in Limelight for a legit show. I've actually a legit show. Yeah. A legit show. Yeah. There was mm. some sort of rock musical that was presented in there a number yeah, of years ago. Oh, that does sound familiar. Uh, Danny Zolly was in it. Uh, I, I mm. can't. Okay. I can't exactly remember the, what the title was, but I'll have to dig through my emails and see if I can find it. We'll talk about it next week. Mm-hmm. Well, after it was limelight, it, it, yeah, it became some kind of like a, a mall, a little indoor mall or something. Is that what it was? Uh, yeah. And then, uh, and then I, I, I believe it became a gym uh, and maybe more than one gym over there. And I'm not sure if it's completely closed. Yeah, I sure uh, wasn't. Uh, when now it was I, a gym, I think it yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah me neither. <laughs> so, uh, uh, and um, uh, Philip Borworth, uh, Boroff, excuse me, Philip Boroff, oh, <laughs> over at the Broadway Journal, uh, talked about uh, ATG and Jew Jamson's. Uh, ejection or attempted ejection of their concessionaires in in the uh, Jew Jamson theaters. Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking about uh, the limelight having five bars there and concessions Four. and things like this. Be fair. Uh, Four. Yeah. And Four. Uh, <laughs> so um, there's lots of stuff happening over there. And then uh, we have uh, a show called The Effect that's coming to the shed. Lucy Preble's uh, show, Michael. What uh, you you saw the uh, a different incarnation of it, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. I uh, it's Lucy Preble, um, Preble. and I uh, the title is The Effect, and I was reading the press release for this new production that's coming to the shed uh, from London, and I thought, God, that plot sounds similar and then i remembered that i had seen it in 2012 um i'm I'm sorry not 2012 2016 uh at the uh barra street theater in a production directed by david cromer um and that that production isn't mentioned in, in the new press release at all but it's really i remember how 
much I loved the play, the writing and the acting, the, the cast of that production was uh, Katie Brasda, Susanna Flood, George Dimas, uh, this incredible guy named Carter Hudson and Steve Kay. And uh, the, here's the plot. Just uh, I'll, I'll just so you know what you're in for. I, I really, really loved it. The play follows the relationship between psychology student Connie and charming drifter Tristan. Uh, both have signed up to a clinical trial for a new antidepressant super drug. Sealed off from the outside world, the attraction between Connie and Tristan turns into deeper feelings as their doses get stronger. They've been warned of side effects. Can they trust their feelings, or is this just a chemical romance? As the trial's overseeing physician and her superior contend with the illicit relationship of their charges, they become increasingly conflicted about the ethical implications of their work. It's soon clear that neither is objective about the complex issues that surround them. So that's the setup, and it's really interesting. And, and I, I will never forget the uh, ending, which I will not tell you. Something happens at the end that is completely unexpected. And then the, um, the epilogue, uh, you know, what happens after that was so moving that I remember I was absolutely crying in that theater. Um, so... Uh, I, I can't vouch for this new production because I haven't seen it. But on the basis of the play alone, I urge you to go see the effect when it opens at the shed. Uh, so that is opening on March 3rd and playing a short run through the 31st. It's being presented by the National Theater in association with the Jamie Lloyd Company. Now, the interesting here is Jamie Lloyd is directing. And also Jamie Lloyd Company what did A Doll's House yes. uh, with Jessica Chastain and is doing the current Sunset Boulevard with Nicole Scherzinger, um, yeah. which is a really high concept. We're all wondering when we're going to get the announcement for Broadway. Have you guys mm -hmm. seen these uh, reviews or any pictures of Sunset Boulevard in yes. in London right now? Yes. Uh, was uh, it you, James, who said you thought it would reopen the palace? No. No, okay. not so. I, I know you did say at one point that you thought a, a phantom production would reopen phantom, the palace. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Is is that still uh, something that you think will happen? I, I do think we'll, Phantom okay. of the Opera is right. going to reopen the palace. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but interesting. I don't know. Maybe uh, if it can't find a home, maybe Sunset will come into the palace there. But... Uh, such a different take on Sunset Boulevard than we're used to seeing with uh, the curtain call. Everybody covered in blood. Yeah. I'm not sure how that. Yeah, I couldn't. No, me neither. <laughs> well, we'll yeah. have to see. People are Still. raving about it. but Yeah, people are raving, which means that uh, it's certain to have an announcement sometime soon. Uh, and finally, for the morning, Oscar Hammerstein's farm has been purchased. So that's going to be saved. Michael, what about that? Oh, yeah. This is his farm in Doylestown where he wrote um, so many of the great musicals. Uh, here's a, an email I got from the organization. After years of organizing and fundraising, the Oscar Hammerstein Museum and Theater Education Center took ownership of Oscar Hammerstein Second's Highland Farm on December 4th. 2023. So that just happened. The front door key placed in a brown paper package tied up with a string was passed, <laughs> was passed from former owner Christine Cole to OHMTEC board president Greg Roth in a ceremony in the living room of Oscar and Dorothy Hammerstein's former home last Monday. Roth immediately proclaimed it one of his favorite things. The moment was, quote, corny as Kansas in August, unquote, <laughs> and it perfectly represented the mood of the donors, board members, blah, 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 blah. The Lenape, is that how you say that word? L-E-N-A-P? I think so, yeah. The Lenape Middle School Select Choir, conducted by OMTEC Board Vice President Jamie Rogers, crowded onto the stairs to sing a selection of Rogers and Hammerstein tunes with the guests gleefully joining in for the last verse of Do-Re-Mi. Mm. Um, 
Uh, let's see. Uh, Highland Farm was the place where it happened. <laughs> the work Hammerstein did there changed the direction of American musical theater forever. In addition to his own staggering catalog, Hammerstein's guidance and influence helped unleash the genius of Stephen Sondheim, who was a frequent visitor at the farm. Sondheim's mentorship guided Jonathan Larson and Lynn manuel Miranda. Etc., etc. Um, so this sounds like, uh, let's see, a Highland Farm is a place where enduring legacies are born. Plans for programming include a youth theater company, classes in theater, dance, and music production, mentorship programs for young adults and emerging professionals, school programming, writers' retreats, and outreach program for all ages. Consistent with our goal to provide opportunities for all, fees will be on a sliding scale and no one will be turned away. So uh, so they've raised the money to, to buy the place and they now own it, but obviously their fundraising is going to continue uh, to fund all of this other wonderful stuff. So um, please, please feel free to check them out and maybe uh, give them a donation if you think that's something you'd like to do. Yeah, they say that uh, the next phase, uh, next phase is going to cost uh, one point five million, uh, and so uh, see what happens. All right, so that wraps it up for today. Before we get on to Brain Teaser of the Musical Moment, I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of BroadwayRadio.com. There's a subscribe link. That way, each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to us in Apple Podcasts. There's many ways to get us. Patreon is one way. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Broadway Radio is how you can support Broadway Radio and get our episodes early and participate. Uh, we have Patreon listeners uh, listening live to us recording this morning and participate in uh, various different Patreon events and get all sorts of content uh, that's created just for Patreon. You can listen to us on Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Pandora, Google Play, YouTube Music, anywhere that you can listen to. Find our podcast, you'll find Broadway Radio's offerings. Contact information for Peter, for Michael, and for me can be found on the show notes at broadwayradio.com, as well as links to some of the things we've talked about today. Also, on the 31st of December, the, uh, we're going to have it this week on Broadway, and uh, we'd love to hear from uh, Patreon subscribers what your favorite shows of the year are, or if you want to give us a quick review of something that's played out of town that we haven't covered that you feel is worthy of uh, shining some light on, uh, let us know. So, Peter, do you have an answer to last week's brain teaser? Yeah, Jonathan Larson taught us that a year contains 525,600 minutes. What musical theater character, seen and heard in three Broadway productions, is looking forward to something that will happen in 603 minutes? Well, 603 minutes in a couple of seconds. George and She Loves Me sings in Tonight at Eight that he has three more minutes two more seconds, 10 more hours to go before his big date with dear friend. That translates to 603 minutes and change. Tony Janicki was the first to get it, followed by Paul Whitty, Josh Israel, Arthur Robinson, J. Aubrey Jones, Reed Loveland, Jeff Valenga, Brigadood, Eric Pinnock, Hal Morgan, Ian Tweedy, Kathy Jones, and Deb Popple. So this week's question this actor did manage to get a Tony nomination, but not the award itself, for playing four different parts in one musical. Three of the characters did not have surnames. One did. About whom are we speaking? In what show? And what were the four? I'm sorry. <laughs> what were the, uh, yeah, what were the four names? Let's do it, including the surname. The one surname. Okay, if you have an answer for that, email us at trivia at broadwayradio.com. We'll let you know if you're on the right track. So, Michael, what do we have in this week's musical moment? Well, our musical moments this week are a tribute to the aforementioned Oscar Hammerstein. Uh, our opener was the title song from his first hit with Richard Rogers, uh, Oklahoma, as sung by Alfred Drake and the original cast on the album that is credited with starting the uh, 
original cast album revolution. <laughs> and uh, our closer, um, I thought I would choose one of the last songs that Hammerstein ever wrote uh, before he died um, with Richard Rogers. And this is Edelweiss. This is the recording from the film soundtrack of The Sound of Music. Uh, so you will hear Julie Andrews uh, as Maria, but in that movie, Christopher uh, Plummer's singing was dubbed by Bill Lee, uh, who had also dubbed the singing for Lieutenant Cable in the film of South Pacific. So, uh, it, but I, I've always loved um, this rendition, this this recording from the film soundtrack. I, I think it's so beautifully arranged and lightly orchestrated and lovely. And then the chorus comes in at the end and it's a really moving moment. Um, so please enjoy Edelweiss uh, as sung by Bill Lee and Julie Andrews and chorus. All right. So on behalf of Michael Portantier and Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway videos this week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Small and white, clean and bright, you look happy to be.